So as we get to the end of Paul's letter, he's, he's wrapping up what he's been talking about throughout this whole letter, but then he's also using it to bring it back home to the relationships he has with them. The conclusions of Paul's letters are always very personal and always very relationally driven, and we're going to see that as we unpack this last section of Corinthians. Uh, so if you would, please, if you are able, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 13, the first 10 verses. If you're able, please rise out of respect for the words of the Lord. Thirteen one, This is the third time I am coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warned those who sinned before and all the others, and I warn them now while absent, as I did when present. On my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them, since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me. He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus is in you? unless indeed you fail to meet the test. I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test, but we pray to God that you may not do wrong. Not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason, I write these things while I am away from you, that when I come, I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for how you love us. Thank you for how good you are to us. Thank you for how you have given us the church, how you have given us the bride. Thank you for how you have allowed us to be a part of it. It is such a privilege to be here, gathered among your people, singing your praise. It is such a privilege to, to have the, the mental faculties to engage with your word, to have the means to gather outside of the elements. I mean, may we never take these things for granted. And so now as we continue to worship you, as we continue to praise you by engaging with your word, may we do so humbly, may we do so hungry, hungry to, to understand who you are, to know who you are, to understand who you've called us to be. Make us holy, Lord. May this time be pleasing to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Sorry, it, oh goodness. I, I like things to happen like to a degree of excellence and when I'm the one responsible for not meeting that degree, it throws me off. Like it genuinely does. And so I think that it's good that I do dumb things like break stuff because it reminds me of how imperfect I am. Uh, but it definitely does rattle me a bit. Okay, Lord, you are good. I am not. May this time be pleasing to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. All right. So we're coming to the end of Paul's letter to the Corinthians. We've got these, these 10 verses with just a little bit left afterwards that we'll look at next week. But in this section, in this wrap-up, like I said at the start, as he's dealing with tying kind of everything up, putting a bow on all of it, concluding all of the varying thoughts, but then also tying the relationship elements in, we see that he really gets into some very practical relationship advice for the church. You know, the church is not a building, the church is not a place, the church is not a property. If this burned down tomorrow, would Community Bible Church cease to exist? No. And so, when you have people gathered together, they're going to need relationship advice. I don't think I'm going to burst any of your bubbles. None of you had it all figured out at any point in your life up until today, and none of you have it all figured out today. I certainly don't have it all figured out. None of you do. It's okay. So we're going to need relationship advice. We're going to need help. We're going to need coaching. We're going to need instruction. We're going to need discipling. And in this conclusion, Paul really lays out some very practical elements of that for the church. And it starts with the reality of church accountability and discipline. And this is an unpleasant aspect of it. This is something nobody likes to think about. This is not something that should be enjoyable to anyone. But the reality is that when you have people gathered together, there's opportunity for friction. There is a... How many people do I want to upset? I know there are some of you who really enjoyed yesterday from about 12 to 3.30... I know there are some of you who did not have as good of a three-and-a-half-hour window. I, I'm just going to leave it at that, right? That is friction. You have differing opinions on how yesterday would have liked to play out. On something like that, we can laugh. It's trivial. But within the church, there's opportunity for legitimate friction, for, for relationships to be hurt, for people to be stepped on, for people to be overlooked, for there to be fracturing of fellowship. And so God, in His wisdom, in His mercy, in His grace, in His goodness, He gives His people instruction on how to navigate this. And we see this very practically laid out in the beginning. Let's look again at verses 1 through 4 and verse 10. Paul says, this is the third time I am coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warned those who sinned before and all the others, and I warn them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God." Verse 10, for this reason I write these things while I'm away from you, that when I come I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and, for not, tearing, and not for tearing down. Paul's talking about church discipline. He's talking about the reality of people who by their contentiousness, by their divisiveness, by their quarrel nat quarrelsome nature, by the false teachings they're propagating, they are fracturing the church. And he's saying, hey, no, look, we have a right given to us by God to deal with this. But he lays out the practicalities of it. And so this section is just an intro to how to if you are in conflict with someone else in the church. Corporately, it's got to be multiple witnesses. We're avoiding a he said, she said, she said, she said, he said, he said, right? Like we're avoiding just pitting one person against another. Hey, if we're going to bring an accusation, is there teeth to it? Is there merit to it? Is this something legitimate? 
And this is not unique to 2 Corinthians. Deuteronomy 19.15, going all the way back to the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 19.15, A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. Numbers 35.30, If anyone kills a person, the murderer shall be put to death on the evidence of witnesses. But no person shall be put to death on the testimony of one witness. Matthew 18, 16 to 17. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Bring everybody into it. And when you read Matthew 18 in its entirety, it's clear that this is a later step. There are initial steps of first just going to the person directly and trying to solve the matter personally. It says if you can do this, you've gained a brother. You've avoided all of this other stuff. 1 Timothy 5.19, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. So the practicality of this does several things. It protects us. It protects us from individual overreaction. If I say one thing and you respond and I just interpret it one way, I can go to others and say, hey, check me, right? Rather than me flying off the handle based on my interpretation of this one person said, is that how you also understood it? Is that also what you heard? So the, the two or three witnesses, it protects against overreaction. It protects against bringing issues before everyone. Did you notice that if you, again, if you read through Matthew 18, where I said this is the second step, this is a later step, before you bring it to everyone, everybody, before you make it a big public matter, you try and solve it quietly and personally so that you can protect everyone. And so God, in his mercy, recognizing that, hey, people are going to butt heads, he lays out practicalities of how we deal with one another. It's just a very literal, practical section. I think it's great that God is looking into every aspect of his bride and paying attention to every aspect of his bride in that way. And so we have to be aware of it as we navigate being a church body together. And we'll see why it's so crucial in a little bit as we continue through this. But to start off this section, this conclusion, Paul is just laying out, hey, here are the realities of dealing with conflict within the church. And then he moves on. And I, I find it fascinating that immediately following the section on how do you deal with conflict with one another, Paul moves into introspection, and he moves into personal reflection. Let me read verses 5 to 7 again. He says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test, but we pray to God that you may not do wrong, not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right that we may seem to have failed. What's one of the contexts we've talked about throughout this letter? What's been happening in the church that we alluded to just a moment ago? There have been false teachers that have been undermining the legitimate ministry of Paul, that have been hampering the people, that have been slowing them down in their walk, that have been really undoing the work of the church. And so Paul says, hey, test yourselves. Like, you need to test what you are doing. You need to test what you are saying. You need to test what you are thinking. You need to test the way that you are conducting yourselves as the church to see what? To see if you are in the faith. And so to understand that, we have to understand these words. And again, this is not unique to this section of 2 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 11.28, Paul wrote, as led by the Holy Spirit, let a person examine himself, 
then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Galatians 6, 4, but let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. The word that we see in 2 Corinthians, that we see in 1 Corinthians, that we see in Galatians, is this word dokimazo. And this word, it means not just to test yourself, but to test yourself for the purpose of identifying what is not genuine so it can be removed. This isn't like a, you know, easy, like, hey, what's one plus one? Two, good, okay, test is over, you get an A for the course. This is like a no, real, nitty-gritty, dive into the details, examination of who you are, what you do, how you live, and then comparing it to the standard of holiness, comparing it to God's standard of sanctification to see what is genuine, good, keep doing that. What is not genuine, stop doing that. This is meant to be revealing. This is meant to be refining of us. Listen to what else Scripture says about this. 1 John 1, 6-7, and then 2, 3-6. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps His word, in Him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in Him. Whoever says He abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which He walked. I mean, that's a pretty simple test. Does my life look like Jesus' life? Do I love people the same way Jesus loved people? Do I show mercy the same way Jesus showed mercy? Do I show grace the same way Jesus showed grace? Do I adhere to truth the same way Jesus adhered to truth? Do I walk like Jesus walked? That's a test that every Christian needs to be asking themselves to see if we're genuine. We've talked about this before. Several times I've brought this up. I'm, I'm going to bring it up again because I, I hate this phrase. I, I, I truly, genuinely hate this phrase. I'll do as I say, not as I do. No, because if you really believed it, then you would do it. If you really believed it, then I would see evidence of it in your life. I'm not trying to unnecessarily make this a hard part of it. Like, I'm not trying to make this an unnecessarily difficult part of the message. But Paul says to the church, test yourself, dokimazo, examine yourself, compare it to the standard that God has laid out to see what is genuine. And if there is something that is not genuine, then stop it. Or ask yourself, okay, why am I professing to walk in the light if I'm not actually doing it? And see, it's, it's easy for us to, to test others. It's easy for us to test the outside world. It's easy for us to examine the people we don't like, the people we don't think highly of, the people we don't agree with. It's a lot harder when you have to do it to yourself. But what does it say in 1 John? Look, if you truly claim to walk in the light, then there should be evidence of it in your life. So practically, if we're talking in a practical section, how do we examine ourselves? How do we test ourselves? Well, simply, compare ourselves to the standard of Scripture. I mean, it's not hard. God didn't hide His calling from us. He didn't say, hey, I call you to be holy. I'm not going to tell you what that looks like. Figure it out on your own. 
He says, I call you to be holy. This is what holiness looks like. The fruit of the Spirit. I bet a lot of you, maybe not all of us, that's okay, but I bet a lot of us could recite the fruit of the Spirit right now. Probably learned it in the kids' wing, you heard a song about it, you taught it to your kids, to your grandkids. I bet a lot of us could recite the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Okay, great. You know it. Is that how you live? I heard this challenge from a pastor. This is not my challenge. This is, I heard a pastor use this one time. In the fruit of the Spirit, plug yourself, your own name in there instead of love. Or instead of the fruit, I'm sorry, instead of the fruit of the Spirit. Plug your own name in there. And so the fruit of the Spirit is, plug in, Sam is. Sam is peaceful. Sam is patient. Sam is kind. Are those all true statements? And then he ratcheted it up a level. And he said, now, instead of is, start to put some specific verbs in there. Start to put some specific ideas in there. So Sam is patient. Sam is kind. Sam is peaceful. Sam is self-controlled. Sam drives patiently. Sam drives peacefully. Sam drives with love and with gentleness. Plug in Sam interacts with those he disagrees with in patience, in gentleness, in self-control. Plug in when Sam is upset, he responds with peace, with patience, with gentleness, with self-control. Test yourself. Are you in step with the Spirit? Are you walking in the light like we're claiming to? Don't raise your hands. Do it mentally. How many of you would say 100% evangelism, telling the lost world about Jesus, is important for the church? I'm guessing a lot of us mentally have both hands up. We'd be saying, amen, great. When's the last time you shared the gospel with a lost person? Well, I mean, I know they're doing it. No, when's the last time you shared the gospel with a lost person? I can't. Why not? Seriously, why not? Let's unpack this. Let's go down this rabbit hole. I can't. Why not? I'm not good with words. Moses wasn't good with words. Peter and John were common, uneducated men. Failed excuse. What else you got? Well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not educated. Nope, we already dealt with that. You don't need a seminary degree. Well, I don't know lost people. Oh, okay. So now have you either placed yourself in such a bubble that you're not interacting with those who need Jesus, or are you so self-absorbed that you're not realizing the people around you need Jesus? When's the last time? If you say evangelism's important, the lost people need to hear about Christ, okay, when's the last time you used your voice to make sure they do hear about Christ? Serving is important. Serving, serving in the kids' wings, serving, making meals for the shut-ins, serving is important. Great, how are you serving? Fellowship matters. The church should be a family. Acts 2.42, they were devoted to one another. Friendships in the church matter. Great, when's the last time you invited somebody over? When's the last time you opened your house to your family? Test yourselves examine yourself to see if there's a genuineness. Do you think our witness might be helped if we collectively looked like Jesus? Do you think our witness might be helped if when the world looked at the church they saw Jesus? We need to test ourselves. We need to examine to see what is 
genuine and then cling to it. This is not just New Testament. This is from the start God has called His people to examine themselves. Job 13, 23, How many are my iniquities and my sins? Make me know my transgression and my sin. I mean, when was the last time we humbled ourselves before the Lord and said, Hey, God, make me aware of the sin I've turned a blind eye to. Like, convict me of the sin that I've overlooked. Make me know my iniquities. Make me know my transgressions. Lamentations 3.40, let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Haggai 1.7, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. And there in Lamentations, we see the purpose of self-examination. We see the purpose of self-testing. Because this can be a very fine line. This can be a, a very fine line that the enemy uses to trip us up and send us spiraling into cynicism and pessimism and guilt and despair. Look at you, you filthy sinner. You are nothing. I mean, oh my goodness, if the people in this room knew how frequently you messed up, they wouldn't sit next to you. They wouldn't talk to you. Oh my goodness, look at a wreck. Look, look at the mess you are. That's, that's not where self-examination should lead us to. What does it say? What does it say in Lamentations? Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. So yeah, there should be a moment of realizing how broken we are. I mean, all believers should have that in common. That we realize how broken we are apart from the Lord. Oh man, apart from God, there isn't good in me. I'm, I'm not. I'm not holy. I'm not righteous. It's like Tim in the worship team led us in. Like, the righteousness comes from Christ. So yeah, there should be that moment of realizing our brokenness, but then where should the testing, where should the examining lead us to? It should lead us to the Lord. Test ourselves that we may return to the Lord, that we may return to the one who is merciful when we're not, that we may return to the one who is pure and holy when we're not, that we may return to the one who is kind and loving and forgiving when we're not. So the examination should not leave us wallowing in the muck. The examination should leave us praising God for His mercy, thanking God for the cross. The examination should leave us grateful. It should leave us desiring to be more like Him. I love that song that we sang. How can I keep from singing your praise? How could I ever say enough? How could I keep from shouting your name? That's where the examination should lead us to, to a place of, wow, God is good. Amen. Wow, Jesus is incredible. Wow, this new life is a blessing and a joy. How can I keep from singing your praise? I'm going to be honest, I don't understand Christians who don't enjoy singing praise. I, I don't. I'm not trying to make you feel bad, but it, it confuses me. I have a terrible voice. Bless my wife for standing next to me. I, I don't know what tune is. I don't know what melody is. I don't know what harmony is. If you've ever sat near me, you know this. But how can I keep from singing the praise of the God who looked at me in my brokenness and said, I choose to die for you that you may appear righteous? Amen. So we examine ourselves to return to holiness, to pursue holiness. 
This is the testing. Because it's a testing of what to see if we are in the faith. Verse 8 serves as the bridge between this section, between these verses. What we've just read as we've looked at interpersonal relationships, as we've looked at examining ourselves. Then we come to verse 8, and it says, We cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. Think about the depth of that simple sentence. We cannot do anything except what is for truth. This is what compels us. This is what drives us. Truth. And so we examine ourselves. We love each other well. We test ourselves to grow, to be made holier because we are committed to truth. We are not committed to convenience. We are not committed to easy we are not committed to familiar and comfortable. We are committed to truth. Look at this. In verse 5, it says to see. You test to see whether you are in the faith. That word faith, it's a gift from God. It's the Greek word pistis. It's never something that can be produced by people. In Strong's Concordance, if you're someone who likes to look that up, it's, it's 4102. And the Lord births this in the believer. Why? Because that's the truth. That He's given us a gift. He's given us new life. He's called us to a holier standard. He's called us to a holier life. And so everything we do is for the truth. We cannot do anything against it. 1 John 5.4 For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So when you look at what Paul has called the people to in these first seven verses, and then you look at this bridge of we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth, we see what Paul is saying to the church. He's saying, hey, look, this is what's been presented to you that's true, that the church was founded on, that the church was birthed by, that the church was committed to. This is what's popped up instead. This is what has undermined that. This is what has caused division. This is what has caused quarrelsome behavior. This is what has plagued you. So test it, examine it, compare it to what you know to be true. And if it's not in line with the truth, then you can't have anything to do with it. Stop, because you cannot do anything but for the truth. And he goes on, and he, lay, he, he lays out what that looks like. Within this letter, we've talked about eternal identity. We've talked about eternal calling the importance of knowing our identity in Christ, the, per, the importance of knowing our calling, our calling to be holy, our calling to be ambassadors, our calling to be ministers of reconciliation. And then we've looked at how the eternal identity, the eternal calling that God gives us impacts, shapes, affects, drives our temporary calling, our temporary identity, our temporary roles. The things that we do in this life that we think are forever and really aren't. But knowing our eternal identity, knowing our eternal calling should directly impact those temporary roles we find ourselves in. And Paul lays out one of the roles that we all share. When you're looking at this idea of, okay, well, why, why does it matter that when we disagree, we do it well? Why does it matter that when we have issues, we do it well, we handle it appropriately, we handle it in a holy manner? Why does it matter that I examine myself? that I'm testing to see what is genuine and good, that I'm pursuing refinement, that I'm pursuing sanctification, that I'm submitting to the Lord in these things. 
because we all, you all, if you are in this room, if you watch it online, if you're watching it online now, later, whenever, if you listen to the podcast, if you are a believer, what I'm about to say applies directly to you. So listen up. You are called to build up the church. You are called, you are designed for, you are meant to, you are assembled by the Holy Spirit to build up the church. Paul lays this out. Consider verses 9 and 10 again. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. He's addressing the people who have been following the false teachers. He's addressing the people who have been causing problems within the church. And he says, no, our prayer, our desire is your restoration. Like, that's the heart that the church would be edified and built up. And he goes on and he says, For this reason I write these things while I am away from you, that when I come I may not have to be severe in my use of authority, that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. This is again not unique to this part of his letter. Earlier in 2 Corinthians 10 and earlier in 2 Corinthians 12, so two other places in this letter he's already addressed this. He has said, For even if I boast a little too much of our authority which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. Okay, well, pause. You said this applies directly to me. All I've heard is Paul talk about himself and the other leaders. In 13, he's talking about himself and the leaders. In 12, he's talking about himself and the leaders. In 10, he's talking about himself. So this is just for, this is just for the stage people. I heard somebody refer to, like, the stage people. I'm not a stage person. I'm a seat person. This is just for the stage people. Well, let's see what Scripture says. Let's see what Scripture says about your importance to the church. I mean, hear this. Be encouraged by this. Hear what God says through his word about your role for his bride, the church. Consider Romans 14, 19. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Romans 15, 2 and 20. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Let each of us pursue building up the neighbor. Consider 1 Corinthians 3, 9 to 14. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. We are all called to this. There is no Christian who is excused from building up the church. 1 Corinthians 12, 4-7 now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. 
and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. There is no Bible verse that gives an expiration date on the indwelling of the Holy Spirit for a believer. Oh, you got saved when you're seven, cool, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Once you hit 85, it just, it, it's gone. The indwelling's gone. The Holy Spirit, he says, oh, okay, you're too old, can't do anything with you anymore. That's not in Scripture. There's no Scripture passage that says, oh, you accepted Christ at age seven? Well, the Holy Spirit won't be able to use you until you're 15. So, I mean, for those eight years, I don't know, just kind of hang out and do nothing. That's not in Scripture. There is no scripture you could point to that you could turn to and say, well, no, this verse, this passage, this means I'm not one who is meant to build up my brothers and sisters in Christ. This verse, this passage, this shows that I'm not capable of this. The Holy Spirit is in you. He is leading you. He has called you. He has equipped you. He has gifted you. He has given us a variety of services, a variety of abilities, a variety of passions. For what? for the mutual upbuilding. You are not part of the bride of Christ. You are not part of this local expression by accident. You are here because, what does it say in Ephesians? That the Holy Spirit, God, assembles His temple, building block by building block. He puts it together as He wills, as He purposes for His plan. His plan is that the church would build itself up in love. So you personally have something wonderful to offer the church. It has been given to you by God. How are you using it? If you know how you've been gifted by God and you're not using it, that's a problem. If you don't know, oh man, that's going to be so much fun to get together and figure out. Like seriously, if you're sitting here and you're like, I have no clue how I'm gifted to build the church up, like coffee tomorrow, 8 a.m. Like, Come on, that'll be so much fun to sit down and say, okay, what are you passionate about? What are you good at? How has God made you to build up his bride? That's exciting stuff. That's cool. You've heard your whole life you're a nobody. You were, you were the last kid picked in gym. You were in the whatever class. Like You've heard your whole life that you're not somebody. No, God says, hey, I looked at you and I gifted you and I called you and I equipped you and I placed you to build up my bride. What? My bride is my most cherished relationship. Jesus says, hey, I looked at you and I gave you a calling. I gave you a gifting that will edify my bride. The privilege of that, the honor of that, the fun of that. None of this is a burdensome task. This is a, are you kidding me? I get to be a part of this right now? Are you serious? So if you don't know, let's figure it out together so that we can all pursue building up the bride, building up the body as we are each called to. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. It's that simple. 
That's why it matters that we disagree well, that when we wrong one another, we respond well, that when we offend one another, when we have conflict, we respond in a holy manner so that it won't be grounds for the church to be torn down, but it will be opportunities for God to do what only He can do and restore what is broken to build the church up. It's why it matters that we handle conflict well. It's why it matters that we examine ourselves, that we test ourselves, that we're not so concerned with what the person next to me in the seats are doing, but I'm saying, no, how am I doing? How am I living out my life? What's it say in Galatians 6? Let each one of us examine himself. That dokimazo, it's self-reflection. It's self-testing. It matters so that we can build the church up. And look, part of how the church relates to one another, part of how the church builds itself up, is that we do. We help each other heal. We help each other recover. We help each other grow. We help each other strengthen. There are going to be times where you have to lean on another part of the body. So that six months down the road, that part of the body can lean on you. At one point, I broke my left hand. like shattered four of my five bones. I had to learn how to do a lot of stuff one-handed. That's why the body has multiple pieces. If you weren't meant to need one another, then it would just be me talking in a mirror. And you'd all be doing the same thing in your own home. But no, we're called together so that we can do things for each other, that we can help each other, we can strengthen each other, we can support each other, we can sacrifice for one another. Before we say, let's go back to some of those questions I asked earlier, fellowship matters. Well, nobody's invited me over. That wasn't the question. The question was, who have you invited over? Well, people don't serve me. That wasn't the question. The question is, how are you serving others? See, it matters so that we can build each other up. Because guess what? If we had a room full of 100 people where everyone was so focused on building the other one up, I mean, let's just think about math for a second. And we've, we've established I am not good at this. But I can do this math. There is one of me, there's one of you, etc. right? So if, if I choose to be self-absorbed, if I choose to be all about me, what is going to build me up? What can I get from you? What can you all do for me? If I choose to be all about Sam, there is one person focusing on what's best for Sam, what will build Sam up. If you all take that exact same approach, we will have a room full of 100 people who are all focused on what will be best for me. And there will be a room full of one person focusing on what will build you up. If in that room full of 100 people, we're all saying, hey, what will be best for my family? What will build my family up? What will serve my family? What will honor my family? What will love my family? And we're all taking that same approach. Well, guess what? Now you have 99 people looking out for you. Again, I'm not good at math, but 99, more than one. So even in this, even in what God is calling us to do, this idea of laying our lives down for one another, of sacrificing for one another, of serving one another, of elevating one another, of honoring one another, of seeking to build one another up, it still winds up resulting in blessings for us. I, I mean, think of how good he is to us in this. And Paul calls the church out. In Corinth, he's like, look, you've allowed false teachings. You've allowed these other distractions to get you off course. Let's get back on it. Let's get back focused on what is true, what is right, what is genuinely in the faith. 
And so as we consider these things this week, oop, there we go. Another mistake I made was forgetting to load my slides on the back screen. So, oh goodness. I have a lot to learn, friends. This stuff is good. Uh, the, let's read 2 Peter 1. It's a beautiful, incredible chapter. One of my favorite chapters of Scripture, 2 Peter 1. So as we consider these things that we've looked at in 2 Corinthians, as we reflect on these things, let's read 2 Peter 1, and then let's pray as led by 2 Peter 1. Allow Scripture to drive us, to drive our prayer life. Allow God's Word to influence our prayer life. Let's continue to remember John 17, 17. This one should be a very obvious connection to this section of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 13, 8. We cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. John 17, 17, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. So continue to, to meditate on this, to internalize this, to ponder it, to hide it in our hearts, to contemplate it. And then just reflect, whether it's in conflict whether you've been someone who's had conflict with somebody else in the church, whether somebody has wronged you in the church, you've wronged somebody, whether it's in conflict, whether it's in self-examination. You've done a lot of self-examination, but you've wound up just spiraling into cynicism and bitterness and pessimism. You've avoided self-examination. Like whatever it is, as you're considering who God has called you to be, who he has gifted you to be, how he has placed you in the bride, just reflect with a simple question. Am I building the church up, or am I leaving it just the way I was when I found it? I mean, what have I done to build the church up? What have I done to edify the church? And again, don't let this be, if you, if you start to go down this, if you start to go into this reflection question, and you start to spiral, and you start to, to just go straight negative. Oh my goodness, I am nothing but a drain on the church. Please call me, okay? Please, like I'm 100% I'm serious. Reach out. If you start to do this reflective, am I building up the church? Reach out to me. If this is turning into a negative, heavy conversation, mentally, internally for you, give me a call. We'll talk about this, because it's not meant to be. It's meant to be a sanctifying process. The idea of self-examination is meant to make us holier, so let's make sure that's the heart we're approaching it with. But let's do these things as we continue to seek to grow and to be a holy bride of Christ. Please join me in prayer. Lord, thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your love for us. That you have called us to a high standard that you have equipped us for it, that you have empowered us for it, that you lead us in it. So may we follow you. May I follow you. May it be that simple. May we navigate conflict well. May we navigate disagreement well. May we self-reflect well. May we love one another well. May we live lives of truth. May we walk in light as we claim. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey everyone, Pastor Sam here. Thanks for joining us for a Sunday sermon. If you're interested in more of the sermons from this series or some of our past sermon series that we've done, you can find them at discovercommunity.org under the sermon file. Uh, otherwise, you can subscribe to this channel to make sure you stay up to date on all our content. Thanks for joining us.